Well, it's spring and life is springing from the ground. And some of you are actually cooperating with that process. So let's take a little poll. How many of you are gardeners or like to garden? You like to dig in the dirt, plant stuff? Yeah, uh, I despise all that. Um, in fact, and I'm not even sad about that uh, because by not gardening and not you know, being, that being one area of many that I have in which I'm completely incompetent, I never get asked to help. And I don't like helping. But I do remember, every time I think of spring, and when I look at the passage we're going to look at this morning, I always remember an experience that I had a few years ago where I killed an entire vegetable garden of a friend of mine. This guy was a big gardener, not flowers. He planted vegetables. I mean, he did the whole nine yards. He rototilled this big thing about half an acre or so. He planted some seeds inside until they grew a little bit. Then he'd plant them outside. He planted some seeds outside, but he was also cheap. And so he was always looking for ways to get like free mulch, free fertilizer or something. And so back then, Kim, I didn't, but Kim would kind of, you know, rake up some of the grass clippings from our lawn after it was mowed. And she would take the biodegradable grass clippings and put them into non-biodegradable black trash bag. You know how that works, right? <laughs> and so we had all these grass clippings. So he said to me one day, hey, Charles, do you have any grass clippings that I could put on my garden? I said, man, it's like a win-win, right? I don't have to carry him down to the sidewalk to put them out for the trash. He gets grass clippings. And sure, he comes by, picks them up, and I'm feeling good. Well, about three days later, He's like all depressed and discouraged. And me being very sensitive, I said, um, is something wrong? And he said, yeah, my whole garden died. And I'm thinking to myself, yeah, stupid gardeners, right? That never happens to me in the first aisle of Giant or in the supermarket, right? That stuff, it doesn't die. It's kind of out there. I just take it. I'm thinking, see, it's foolish to garden. You don't want to waste your time. And then about 15 minutes later, I hear him in there. Charles, do you have your lawn sprayed? I said, of course I do. Otherwise, the people at Calvary Church would complain if we have dandelions all over my lawn. The weed killer that was sprayed on my lawn that he then put all over his vegetable garden killed all of his vegetables, not just that year, but he couldn't plant there the next year either. <laughs> so see, I know a lot about gardening and what not to do. Now you may think, what does that have, that have to do with the... Well, not a whole lot. No, it actually does. We're going to look at the last I am statement from John's gospel, and it's all about gardening. It's all about a gardener and a vine and branches. So if you have your Bibles, turn to John chapter 15. I'm going to read the first 11 verses, and we're going to kind of recap a little bit, show you how this I am statement fits into the others, and then we'll walk through it. So here we go, John 15, verse 1. Jesus says, I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will bear even more fruit. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine. 
You are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you're like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. Now, as I said, this is the last of the I am statements in John, and this is the last in the series, Come and See. And uh, there are seven I am statements, but I'm not sure you realize this. They're only making three points. So we have seven statements that actually make three points. Let me show you by way of reflection. The first thing that Jesus is communicating, he's communicating that he's Savior. And he communicates that by saying, I am the gate. I'm the way you enter life. I'm the one through whom you must be saved. I'm the one through whom you gain access and entrance. But not just that. Jesus also says, I'm the life and I come to bring life. I'm Savior. I'm bread. Not just Savior, but he's also Revealer. And there are two kind of statements that go with Revealer. Light, right? You light up and you see things that are revealed to you and truth. So Jesus is Savior. Jesus is Revealer. The light lights up and shows us what's beautiful and shows us what's dangerous. Jesus is truth pointing out those things to us. The last thing, Jesus is life giver. And that is Jesus is life. Jesus gives us bread through which we sustain life. Jesus is shepherd, the one that provides life. And you know, I always used to think, the I am statement, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, that one should have been the last one. You know, why did John put the vine at the end? He kind of messed up. He should have put the vine earlier and put way, the truth, and the life at the end. You know, I started to think the last couple of weeks, I think John got it right. Yeah, just okay. He's he, he a little different, but I think he got it right. Here's what John's doing. Jesus gives us these statements of identity. He says, here's who I am. Now, you are free to make up any identity you want for Jesus. But the reality is, he is who he said he is, and he only is who he says he is. You know, we sometimes project identity on other people. Did you notice uh, in Dan's interview, Dan did not mention my name about coming to do any of those repair work. You notice that? Uh, you can say, I think Charles is a contractor. I think Charles, oh, he'd be great at doing repairs. He'd be great as an IT person. He'd be great as a brain surgeon. No, he wouldn't. I can't do any of that stuff. When Jesus gives his I am statements, he's telling us who he is. You don't have to believe that. You're free to believe what you want. But Jesus is who he says, and he's only who he says he is. He's Savior. He's Revealer. He's Life Giver. And he says, I'm the vine, you are the branches as the last one, because he wants us to know it's only as we're connected to him that we get all of that stuff. You see, if way the truth and the life came at the end, you may have been able to say, okay, yeah, I'll walk the way, I'll believe the truth, I know the life. 
But what does he say in vine and the branches? I'm savior, I'm revealer, I'm life giver. But the only way to get all of that stuff is to be connected to me. Our values, as we connect with God and are impacted by him, we're then sent to connect with others and impact them. This is the perfect metaphor for that. As we connect with Jesus, life flows through us. As we connect with Jesus, he reveals reality to us. As we connect with Jesus, we experience salvation. We enter the gate and we know what it means to have access to God. So maybe John got it right. I'm the vine, should come last. Well, what does that have to do with tradition? Well, I'm not sure you've ever noticed this, but the last verse in chapter 14 says this. Come now, let us leave. What's that mean? Well, here's probably what it means. They're uh, having the Last Supper, First Communion, and then Jesus says, you know, well, let's leave. So they're leaving there, and they're leaving Jerusalem, right? They're kind of walking outside the city, which meant, not exactly sure, they probably walked past the temple. Now, do you know that over the top of the sanctuary was a giant golden vine? You can go online and check it out. Type in vine at the temple, and they'll have, you know, renditions of it there, the golden vine, and it kind of fell down on the sides. It was made of gold. Why would they choose the illustration of a vine to kind of be draped over the top of the sanctuary at the temple? I'll tell you why. Did you notice in every one of the IM statements that they have roots in the Old Testament? So bread, manna, Shepherd, good shepherd, bad shepherds in Ezekiel 34. Every one of the metaphors that Jesus says, I am, has the beginning in the Old Testament, and vine is no exception. Let's look at two of them. If you have your Bibles, turn back to Psalm 80. We're only going to read two. You, you need to understand um, vine and vineyard, vineyards all over the Old Testament. God often is using the vineyard and vine as a picture for his people. He does it all the time. Here are two really good examples. I'm going to begin reading in verse 8. I'm probably not going to read all the way through 18, uh, but I'll start there. Psalm 80, verse 8. You, speaking to God, right? You transplanted a vine from Egypt. You drove out the nations and planted it. You cleared the ground for it, and it took root and filled the land. The mountains were covered with its shade, the mighty cedars with its branches. Its branches reached as far as the sea. It shoots as far as the river. Why have you broken down its walls so that all who pass by pick its grapes? Israel is the vine. And notice the picture. Here's what the psalmist is saying. God, you took this vine out of Egypt, right? You transplanted it. It was kind of growing there and you took it, but you had already prepared a place to plant it over here in, in the promised land. And you took that vine and you planted it in the promised land and it began to grow and you did everything you could to take care of it. But now as the psalmist is looking around and says, oh, the wall's broken down. The vine's kind of trampled. It's a mess. What the heck happened? Oh, we need another passage. Turn to Isaiah chapter five. And we get a little more of the story. I'll read the first few verses. Now, keep in mind, Jesus says, I'm the true vine, you're the branches. Psalm 80, listen to this from Isaiah 5. I will sing for the one I love, 
a song about his vineyard. My loved one had a vineyard on a fertile hillside. He dug it. He dug it up and cleared it of stones and planted it with the choicest vines. He built a watchtower in it and cut out a wine press as well. Then he looked for a crop of good grapes, but it yielded only bad fruit. Now you dwellers in Jerusalem and people of Judah judge between me and my vineyard. What more could I have done for my vineyard than I've done for it? When I looked for good grapes, why did it yield only bad? Now I would tell you what I'm going to do to my vineyard. I will take away its hedge and it will be destroyed. I will break down its wall and it will be trampled. I will make it a wasteland, neither pruned nor cultivated, and briars and thorns will grow there. I will command the clouds not to rain on it. The vineyard of the Lord Almighty is the nation of Israel, and the people of Judah are the vines he delighted in. He looked for justice, but only saw bloodshed, for righteousness, but only heard cries of distress. Now with those two passages, fresh in your mind, this vine, this vine transplanted from Egypt, placed prepared in the promised land, the vine gets planted there. Isaiah chapter 5, God does everything he can to care for the vine. He takes care of the soil. He prepares it. He fertilizes it. He plants it. He takes care of it. And he goes to pick good fruit, but all he gets is rotten fruit. And then Jesus shows up and he says, I am the true vine. Now, does that make sense? Why did that little adjective get connected to vine? Because every biblically literate Jew would have known about the vine. They would have known about Isaiah's song in chapter 5. They would have known about Psalm 80. And they would have known that God did everything he could to make this work. And it didn't work. God's plans are not coming to fruition. Jesus shows up and says, I am the true vine. He's the one through whom all the promises will be fulfilled. The one through all the fruit of the gospel will be delivered. Jesus, the true vine. Jesus, the true Israel. That's what he's saying. And my guess is some of the jaws of the people listening, they drop to their chest as they stand in the presence of the true vine who will bring to, to fruition all of God's promises. Well, let's uh, ask and answer a couple questions. We just have time for a couple, but they kind of get to the heart of the passage. And here's the first question. What does it mean to be connected to the vine? No, I know. It, well, it means you're kind of growing. I know. But, but what are the marks? What does it mean to be connected to the vine? Well, there are actually three things that show up. One of them is kind of implied. The other two are explicitly mentioned. But let's just kind of walk through. The first one is growth, right? Here's the verse that says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Everybody knows, especially at springtime, if a branch is in the vine, the branch is going to grow. Branches don't stay the same size. Otherwise, you never have to trim your trees. You never have to prune the rose bushes. You never have to go out and take care of the flowers. Plants and flowers and stuff that are connected to the vine, they grow. And at this time of year, I guess some of you have pruned already. Occasionally, uh, I'll walk or Kim and I'll walk somewhere. And for a while there, it seemed like whenever we'd walk, everybody must have been trimming trees. Every, yeah, piles of branches kind of on the path. And you know what? The day they were trimmed or the next day, the branches looked the same as they did when they were on the tree. They look almost alive, but they're laying in the path. Yeah, just give it a day or two. Next day, kind of 
shriveled up a little bit. A couple days, brown. A few days after that, good for nothing, right? Branches that are connected to the vine that have the lifeblood flowing into them, those branches grow and develop. Have you ever realized that life is like a down escalator? You ever notice that? Like the older I get, the more I realize this. Everything's winding down. My clothes wear out. My shoes wear out. I'm wearing out. My car wears out. My house wears out. Everything's running down. You know, the law of entropy is real. Everything is running down. Unless new life is flowing from the vine into the branch. Then new life can come. Everything doesn't have to be running down. There is an upward escalator, but the only upward escalator is the escalator connected to a life-giving source. That's the difference. Life without the vine is a downward escalator. Everything's running down, wearing out. Eventually will be good for nothing unless you're connected to a source of life. Growth, right? Well, the second thing, and this is one of the, the explicit one, is fruit. What happens to uh, the branch that's connected to the vine? It bears fruit. Obviously, a, a grapevine is being thought of here, but pick your favorite tree, an apple tree, lemon tree, orange tree, whatever tree, whatever, blueberry bush, strawberry, whatever they grow. <laughs> if the branches are connected to the vine, they will produce fruit, and that seems to be the point of the passage. Fruitfulness. Now, what exactly is this fruit? Now, you, you can read different commentators, listen to different sermons, go to Sunday school class, and you'll hear lots of different things. But did you notice as I read through the passage that two fruit are specifically mentioned? Two fruit. Love, right? As I love you, you will pass on my love to others. That's one of the fruit mentioned. And one right after that is obedience. So love is one of the fruit. Obedience is another one of the fruit. We could extrapolate and say, yeah, probably all the fruit of the Spirit fit under that umbrella. You know, love's kind of the overarching fruit that love, joy, peace, pain, they all flow from. But love is specifically mentioned and obedience is specifically mentioned. And I wonder if they're mentioned because they're both paradoxical. Here's what I mean. Everybody loves somebody and something. Everybody. But that's not the love Jesus is talking about here. That's not the love that separates us as people connected to him. Everybody loves somebody. Everybody loves something. That's not Christian love. It's easy to love people to love you back. It's easy to love people that can give you something you want. It's easy to love people, kind of butter them up to get your way. It's easy to love some people. Here's the difference. The love Jesus speaks of is loving people that are unlovable, loving people that are different, loving people that don't have the same preferences, don't have the same convictions, loving people that are not in your sweet spot, those that are radically different. That's what makes Christian love love, right? There's kind of a paradox to that. Everybody loves somebody. You can be a branch not connected to Jesus as the vine. I know you love somebody, you love something, but only the branches connected to Jesus can have their love spill over to love people that are radically different, to love people that don't fit, 
to love people that believe a little different, that's the difference. And the same is true with obedience. We talked a few weeks ago about obedience and I said something like this. Obedience isn't tested when you agree. You know, it's easy to obey if, you know, somebody, you know, your boss at work says, hey, I, I want you to do this. It's easy for you to do it if you think it makes sense and you're, you're going to benefit somehow from doing what the boss says. But when it doesn't make sense, when God asks you to do something where you can't see the benefit coming to you, when it doesn't fit with how you're putting life together and you do it anyway, then obedience is tested. So I find it interesting that the two fruit that are mentioned are the two that are radically paradoxical. Love, but love as those connected to Jesus, loving people very different than us. Look at the kind of people Jesus loved. People like us. Talk about radically different than him. Jesus obeyed even when he didn't feel like and when he didn't want to and he wasn't getting his way. Love, obedience, the two fruit mentioned, the two that often trip us up and perplex us. Fruit. Well, the last thing that's mentioned is uh, probably the hardest one, and that's pruning. Here's what it says. I'm the vine, my father's the gardener. And what does he do? He attacks the vine. That's what he does. And if you've ever walked through an orchard or a vineyard after it was pruned, you'd kind of scratch your head and say, did the person who did this know what the heck they were doing? They've got all these great branches on the ground, little clusters of grapes on the ground. This guy must have been crazy. Yeah, but the skillful, the skillful gardener, the skillful apple tree orchard guy, <laughs> he's going to leave a lot of mess around where you and I would leave that junk on the tree, on the vine. He knows what to cut off and what not to cut off. Why do we need pruning? Why do vines need pruning? Why do trees need pruning? I'll tell you why. Because vines have a tendency to attach to the wrong stuff. Do you ever notice that? You ever watch Pickers, the show Pickers? Every once in a while they find these cars that are wrapped in, like the vines have attached to the car. They got to cut off all the vines to get to the car. Vines attached to the wrong stuff. Some of the things you've probably seen vines, have you ever seen vines attached to houses? Cars, tennis balls, right? Trash, trash cans, machines. Vines tend to attach to the wrong stuff so the gardener has to cut the vine away so the wrong stuff doesn't wind up diminishing the fruitfulness of the vine. And vines also have, it, also have a tendency to grow in the wrong direction. Not just attached to the wrong stuff, the wrong direction. We used to have a bunch of rose bushes and Kim would go and attack them. She never asked me to help. She would attack them. And, uh, and I would often, when she was done, I'd say, seems like you cut most of the good stuff off. Yeah, but here's what you don't understand. You have to cut off all of this because if you leave all this mess on there, it'll produce a bunch of roses, but they'll be small. We'll cut it all away. Now we'll get great roses. I said, oh yeah, great. Yeah. <laughs> God's the gardener, right? He knows we have a tendency to attach ourselves to the wrong stuff. He knows we have a tendency to grow in the wrong direction. So he prunes us because he loves us. And so we can be more fruitful. That's why. I don't know, I've never heard this on first hand, but I'm guessing it's true. I'm guessing that pruning isn't real pleasant for the vine. I'm just guessing. A lot of, a lot of blood out there, right? 
Pruning isn't pleasant in my life, I know that. I'm guessing it's not pleasant in your life either. But the gardener knows what he's doing, right? It's hard for the vine to know what the wrong stuff and the right stuff is. The gardener knows. It's hard for the vine to know what the right direction is or the wrong direction. The gardener knows. Cooperate with the pruning, even though it's painful. Well, there's another question we have to ask because the text answers it, and it may not really be that uh, comforting. What should, we, what, what should we expect if we're not connected? Do you notice it comes up in this passage twice? Like, what should happen if the branch is not connected? Well, here's the first thing. I'm the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I and you bear much fruit, apart from me, if you're disconnected from me, you can do nothing. So what should we expect? Nothing. Nothing. No growth. No fruit. No pruning. Nothing. I need a, a new cell phone these days. I know because I have to charge my cell phone like four times a day. And I'm guessing like the battery thing isn't working right and I'm cheap. I don't want to get a new one, but I got to get a new one. Anyway, here's what I've discovered, though, having to charge my phone all the time, is that my cell phone and yours too can do amazing things. I think I use about one and a half percent of my phone's capabilities. In fact, I learned of a new app this week. And as soon as I remember my Apple password, I'm going to try to get it. Uh, here's what the app is. You open the app and you type whatever message you want and it automatically sends you an email. So if you need to remember something, right? Rather than opening the email and sending an email, got to send you a drive. No, you open the app. It's already connected to your email. Type whatever you want to remember, and it automatically sends you an email. When you get to work, you get home, there's your email. I need that. I need an Apple ID password, too. Uh, but here's what I've discovered having a cell phone that dies a lot. If my cell phone doesn't regularly get connected to the power source, it's nothing but a paperweight. It's good for nothing. That's kind of what Jesus is saying. Here's a life, a person who's not connected to the gospel. Who's not, here's a branch not connected to the vine. They're not good for anything. Now listen, they can do lots of stuff. People that are not connected to Jesus, they go to work, they can have a family, they can have married, they can go on a great vacation. They can do lots of stuff, but they can do nothing of eternal value. They can do nothing to bring real fulfillment into their lives or someone else. You've got to be connected to Jesus for that. And the last thing, uh, the second thing, those that are not connected to Jesus are facing removal. Nothing of value and removal. That's what he says. Those branches that are not in him, he takes away and discards. Now, in a sense, what Jesus is saying here is if a person lives his or her life perfectly content being disconnected from Jesus, not wanting anything to do with the vine, they're just going, eventually that position becomes permanent. I mean, they've chosen it. It now becomes permanent. What are branches connected to the vine like? Growth fruit, pruning. What are branches not connected? They can do nothing. And if nothing changes, if there's no grafting, removal comes. Let me mention two words of application real quick. 
So what does this mean? Here's the first one, and it's real important. Never give up on people. You, you know, I, I look around at our culture, and I hear some things that Christians are saying, and I, I read some posts that Christians are And here's what can kind of irritate me. Why do we expect connected behavior from people that are disconnected from Jesus? Why do we expect them to live as if they're connected to Jesus when they're not connected to Jesus? And we shake our head and we're dumbfounded when they're living out disconnected. Well, they're disconnected. What would you expect them to do? Our main point and purpose should be to seek to get them connected, not to condemn them, not to smack them around, not to make them feel judged. It's to serve and love so we can help them get connected. Then we've got the power source. They're connected to the gospel, the Holy Spirit working from the inside. That's where change happens. It's not scolding and critiquing from the outside. Never give up on people. Oh, yeah, and never give up on yourself. Here's my guess. You know, I have a tendency to do this. I'm guessing some of you do. Don't settle. Don't settle. Here's my guess. My guess is some of us in this room, maybe to some degree, every one of us in this room, we're settling to keep some junk in our lives that needs to go. If you're connected to Jesus, don't settle. You can change. You've got the living power of God, Jesus working through you. You can change. Never give up on people. Never give up on yourself. Don't settle for that junk in your life. You can change because of the power source in you. And secondly, cling to the vine. Don't look to self-help. Don't find a new strategy. You don't need five new seminars. You don't need 10 steps for this. You need to cling to the vine. So maybe a little bit of assessment. Are you growing? What three adjectives would people use to describe your life today? Are they different than the three adjectives they would have used to describe you five years ago? Growing? Is there change? Fruitfulness. Are you producing? How are you doing with love? Not loving people that are lovable, loving people that are unlovable. How are you doing with obedience when you don't agree with the conclusion? And maybe you're sitting here this morning thinking, uh, I don't think I'm connected. Well, get connected. Acknowledge your, use the metaphor, use the picture. Acknowledge you're disconnected. Tell Jesus he can connect you. I can't. Look to him and cling to him as the revealer, as the savior, as the life giver. Acknowledge your disconnection. Ask him to get connected. And watch growth and fruit and life and pruning begin. That's the Christian life, friends. Let's stand and pray. Father, thanks for this uh, crazy metaphor that at this time of year we, we see around us every day. We see trees budding in life. We see flowers coming from the ground we see soon vegetables will become life springing from the ground. And we've got the continual reminder that branches that are not connected to the vine are not going to be growing for long. They're not going to be fruitful. And sometimes they're going to need to be pruned. Lord, help us first to do a little uh, assessment to make sure we're connected. And those of us that are connected, help us to cling to the vine not to some new formula, not, not to some new scheme. Cling to the vine. Jesus, our Savior, the revealer of truth and light. 
Jesus, the life giver, who brings growth, fruit, and cuts away things that need to be removed from our lives. We pray in his name. Amen.